The following episode contains sensitive content. It is recommended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we meet and the land on which you are listening. We pay our respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the country on which this podcast was recorded. This podcast was produced in a private residence in Marrickville, Sydney, and is a completely independent production. We do not act on behalf of any organisation or sponsor. Our views are entirely our own. You're about to join a conversation between two women from Sydney, Australia, talking about losing their loved one to suicide. It is unscripted. This is ordinary people sharing their lived experience. This is Talking Lived. Gabby like what were some of the most common things that people said to you oh well I guess uh you know that answer to that kind of happens over time and uh in the beginning obviously people were really shocked you know a lot of people were so shocked about what happened and um and then as the days go on and the initial shock sort of is, you know, you can't keep being shocked forever. Other things start to sort of come out in the way people talk to you or people then try to find ways to offer you uh, solace and, uh, you know, try to, like, try to fix it in a way. After that sort of explosion of shock, then people start trying to to fix it and and offering uh, things that are going to be helpful to you. And look, let me preface this with the information or the fact that if it was me, if the same thing had happened to me and I was saying things to people, I would have been completely the same. You're just clutching at straws. I mean, the event is such a shocking thing to have gone through. It's You don't know what to say. People don't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say. And uh, But some of the things that... Um, you know, people said, there was a lot of things that people said that aren't actually very helpful, such as, uh, you know, oh, she's at peace now, or now she's at rest, or or she got what she wanted, or, you know, those kinds of things, which I find really, I found pretty offensive. Um, but lots of people, I don't know, they just, there was a lot of good things that people said as well, where they tried to say, good things about Gabby and and perhaps that's the other thing uh, that does happen I think when someone dies people do recognize the goodness of that person I've had someone say to me you can always tell if someone's dead because everyone says all positive things about them and not negative things you know no one's sort of it, it takes the the reality of the humanness out of someone when they're dead you can't speak badly of the dead maybe that's the that old thing um but, yeah, people. I think it's people start to realise what they've lost. All the, the conflict is, is drained out of it. And, you know, mostly people were very, you know, tried to do their best to offer solace. But a lot of the things that people say that are meant to be helpful really are not. Yeah. What about you, Tanya? What happened I, to you? I got a lot of... Probably the most common was, I'm, I'm really sorry... Which, I, look, 
I know that some people are kind of offended by that because mm. they kind of see it as a, it's sort of flippant. I, I think it's, that is a perfectly reasonable thing for someone to say. I never found that upsetting. But I think you're right. It's more that we all enter this space when no one knows what the fuck to say because the magnitude of what has happened is so, it's so awful. It's so shocking. Mm. And what do you say? I've said really silly things to people. I know mm. I have when they've been in a similar kind of reverse the roles. I know I've said dumb shit to people. Um, but I agree with you as well that in the beginning, it's almost easier navigating the relationships around you because everyone really is trying to be almost on best behaviour. Yes. And they're yes. very, very hesitant to say very much. Yes. And you can you can hug someone. You can express that grief, that support and comfort in other ways. Mm -hmm. It gets more complicated the deeper you go into the experience. 12 months on, 18 months on, whether it's in my head or not, or whether it was actually happening, you do get the sense that people are going, oh, okay, right. Now, what, what do I say? Like, it, it, you know, she's still really, really upset. She's not... And that's when it starts to get into the complicated territory where people are dancing around... Well, at least, you know, they start the... Co well, at least you had, or... And that one just... I don't know what your reaction to that is. It's like, no, don't. Let's not start with the consolations of what... Um, yes, yeah. Or the, the other alternative is... And I've forgotten what I was about to say. You'll think of it. Take your time. Shit. Completely lost that train of thought. It'll come back. Yeah, I think it gets more. Di I think it gets more complicated the longer you are in the process of grief because yes. people actually they run out of things to say. So you can't just tap into those. I'm really sorry. Mm. How are you? Mm. They often just ask you that. It, it then gets into well, I better start actually being demonstrative and offering comfort. That's and making this person feel better and help them heal. And you actually can't, hmm. you can't do this for them. Like no one could do it for me. You have, we have to do it ourselves. And I think people don't really have a grasp of that. It's like they have to try and, after a while, they have to come and try and put a, a positive spin on it, you know, because otherwise they wouldn't be being your friend if they let you stay in that misery or, or they start to, I think maybe... People get worried, and I think it's a big cultural thing. They get worried about the extent of the grief and, you know, have their own time frame in their heads and like, okay, it's time to move on now. It's been 18 months, two years, three years, whatever it is, and they start wanting to sort of push you forward, you know, and, and thinking that, oh, you have to kind of get positive about things. And it's like, uh, no, thank you. That's not really how it's really going to go. The um, other one I think that is complicated mm. as well is uh, Jason, my partner, and I. He, Jason was the one that died, if, if people are joining us sort of for the first time. We had a period of... There was chaos, really, in our lives. That's what preceded his death. And 
from the outside, that looked like marital discord. It looked like a separation in progress. In reality, what it was was me leaving the house, scrambling like a mad bugger to try and get any help I could, rally those health professionals to kind of make an intervention on Jason, and I was unsuccessful in that regard. And I think some of the conversations that were around people that we knew, not our really, really inner circle who knew Jason and who knew us, the conversations around that kind of middle circle of people where they're not really, really intimate, but they're definitely part of your work world and your colleagues and friends. And they made comments about, well, why are you so upset? I mean... Oh, really? <laughs> didn't look like you were that... I mean, in some ways you must be relieved. That sounds like it was some of the one of the dumbest things that people might have said to you afterwards. Yeah. Um, were, were there other really dumb things that got said to you, Tanya? Um, yeah, there was heaps and heaps of really, really dumb things. I... I when, some, when you lose someone in this way, everything runs through your fingers. We've talked a little bit about that, that the preciousness and the love of the relationship that you had with that person, you can feel it running through your fingers because there's no solid ground to stand on. You think, mm. did this person really care about me? Did they understand how much I cared about them? All of that, it, you, you're trying desperately to hold on to it. So any comment that cuts into that that implies that they didn't maybe care for you as much as you thought they did or that you didn't care for them, that cuts really, really deep. Mm. I don't know, what it's, do you think? It is such an environment of shifting sands. Like you're just so raw and hyper aware of anything that anybody says. And, you know, I would say don't, don't react badly if um, – or, or don't – if – somebody who is bereaved by suicide acts crazily or reacts to things you say just let them have that reaction because that the shifting sands as you said Tanya is so uh you just in it's like surfacing the walking the surface of a of a lava flow you know there's just nowhere to find any safety nowhere to rest nowhere to to see what can um you know a pla there's no landing place it's just as you said all shifting all moving i mean some of the things that were said to me or one person said to me that i found really weird was they said oh there's still hope and i just looked at them and i'm like no there's not what do you mean there's still hope there is absolutely zero hope for my daughter that is this is the very definition of no hope left you know and I think a lot of people when you're feeling suicidal might feel like there's no hope but um, that's not true you know there is still hope until the act is completed until you're dead that is when the point of well actually there is no hope so trying to reassure me that there's hope it's like well Yes, there might be hope for me, but I do not need to hear that in probably the first year after my daughter's death. I probably need a little bit more time to build on that. And I think we need to let trust people with the process, you know, that it's going to take time, it's going to be uncomfortable, 
there's nothing we can do to make you feel better as people around us and there's nothing we can do to make ourselves feel better and there's probably nothing you can do to make us feel better but I think you know company um, witnessing you know not being alone on the journey being able to express it being able to just not feel judged, I think, um, yeah, that's huge. is so helpful. The not being judged thing, I think, is probably the biggest factor that makes a difference. This experience often makes you really hyper aware of what other people are doing and saying. But... You're right inside the experience. You're central to it. Do you think you've ever said anything that you regret afterwards? Maybe shared something about Gabby? Mm. And after the fact, you've thought, why on earth did I say that? Or mm. there's a moment of regret about what you've said. Yeah, it, everything you said feels, or everything you say feels like it could have a momentous impact. You know, it's like, okay, uh, we know that uh, a lot of people... Uh, suicide around, you know, a suicide will beget other suicides. So I immediately start thinking, oh, I've got to be careful. I can't say this or I can't say that or I've got to be really cautious about what I say because we don't want, in particular, any of the other young people in the family to feel like this is a a, uh, a thing to do. Uh, you know, there is that worry. Everyone gets that worry attached to it. But I most definitely have, have said things about Gabby that... I have then felt like, oh, I don't want you to take that the wrong way. Or I, I've said things that I've been kind of hyper aware of what I say. I try to be really careful because I still feel so protective of her. But I know I've said things to other people in my family and it's very hard not to feel like you're the only one grieving. And there are a lot of people grieving around my daughter but I am only really focusing on my own own grief. So I have done some very mm, stupid things with my family and uh, maybe with her partner, and um, you know that I I regret. Of course, we all I'm human. We're all human, and you know I have done plenty of dumb things. So you know I guess it's just a matter of trying to think, trying to help people. Just because we can be dumb doesn't mean we should open the gate to being dumb. You know, it is helpful to try and think about what is actually helpful and what is so not helpful. Grief, look, and I can only speak from my experience, but I think grief does make you very selfish. And I, I have felt really deep moments of selfishness where I'm really blind to what other people are experiencing around or have experienced around Jason's death. Because you're just so deep in the emotional space, it it it. I don't know how far down it goes. It's a bottomless pit, really. The grief that you experience, mm. uh, so it makes you very blind to what other people are experiencing. Uh, it makes you very angry, and that puts you. I, I felt a lot of anger, and I think that puts you in a state where you're not. You don't read the environment in the way you would if you were of a clear thinking mind and mm. an objective sort of mind I think it also makes you paranoid 
So I think I, I often perceived comments that were made by people in a way that they didn't intend. Yes. But the yes. way they landed on me landed much more heavily, I think, than what that person intended. Mm. Uh, and there's no fault on their part, really. No. And I, I'd like no. to say there's no fault on mine. It probably does fall more within no. my realm of responsibility, but you can't, you're not fully in control. I, I wanted to be selfish, you know. I, I feel like enti- it's almost like an entitlement, you know, mm. and I was often very aware, gee, if my daughter had have died and I, I lived in a different world where I was fighting for my survival every day, I would have had to still go to work every day and eke out, you know, whatever living I'm making for myself. And But I felt very entitled to grieve as much as I wanted you know and and like okay I'm going to do this how I want to do it and maybe that's I I I really don't have a yardstick of how fair or not that is no and I look I'd agree with that from my point of view I I think grief gave me a whopping chip on my shoulder for a period of time Mm. because it's another way that this experience and I don't think it's even just about grief it wasn't just about grief it was about grief in the context of a death by suicide, for me anyway, yes. because it was another way in which you had become part of a little club that we talk about. You know, you become part of the club where your experience is isolated from everyone else around you and you think no one really understands what I could be going through. And they probably don't. In that respect, you're probably right. Um, they don't understand... They don't understand how bad this is and how hard it is mm. and no one else will, will experience what I'm having to go through. It's isolating. And the downside of that is that it isolates you further, I think. That's right. Um, yeah. Because it's mm. even harder for people to reach out um, to you. And I think that does increase as time goes on. I think in the first bit... People try and there you can I can see these valiant efforts from people who have decided they are going to keep in contact with me and they send me text messages and it'll be every week and then every month and then every few months and then every once a year. You know, you can feel like these people really trying to maintain or sustain this effort of support in my direction. So it, it, it really is valiant and I really do appreciate it. But the the hardship of it is this very unrelenting sort of unresolvable situation that is it's hard enough for us to be in, let alone other people. Yeah. But I have often felt like uh, when Gabby died, I felt like, oh, now I have the... It, w- it was a freedom in that that is a human permission slip to be as as free as I want to go to any extent of my human experience, you know, yes. like that's what I yes. felt like. Okay, well, I have spent 42 years trying to be a parent and rightly or wrongly, whatever happened, it's all come to naught and it was a good life while it was there, but now I have failed and I think that's the extent of the loss that you and I have both gone through. We tried and tried and tried and it didn't work. So, okay, now I've got permission to be, I'm just going to be and do whoever I am and whatever I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I was an oversharer before. I think that is de- <laughs> yeah, that's definitely... I, I, the, I suppose the, the thing I reflect on sometimes, 
And this is, I think, stepping into that territory where you're like, ooh, I really wish that person hadn't said to me, said that to me because it hurt. That one actually wounded me, that comment. Is that I, I wish I was a bit more selective about who I overshare with because I have definitely overshared with some people just about yeah. the details of what happened with Jason's death, like the minute details and about mm. things that were going on in our family, the level of mm. chaos and argument because it looked like a family family argument from the outside i wish i hadn't overshared with certain people some details of that because they just didn't understand what was going on and then what i got back was what i've got to admit what i want is people to see my side of it that's yes. what we all want you yes. know yes um that that is what we want and i and i guess that what we're asking for is is allies, please be on our side, you know, in this yeah. journey. Please note that we do need to have, um, you know, our perspective understood. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing, Tanya. Yeah, mm. hope not. <laughs> so what has uh, provided comfort for you Tanya is there any any words or actions that have been comforting and and uh, why have they been I think it it's more about who's saying it for me anyway it's not even so much the content of what's being said mm -hmm. it's who's saying it and if that person is someone who's been through this experience for example so someone who's had lost a family member to suicide, there, there is a, a, an authenticity and a weight and an integrity, I think. Whatever they say, I, I take on board what they say and absorb it in a way that I wouldn't, for people that I know, have no direct experience of this. That said, there obviously are some things that... When the funeral was over, after Jason's funeral, someone just walked up to me, and someone I didn't know that well, really. They were one of those people that were at the funeral. We knew, but it wasn't an intimate, intimate. And they just walked up to me eye to eye and grabbed me and said, well, that was fucking harrowing. Mm. Now, other people may, have, may, have, may take that, God, do you mind? Like, I don't really need <clears throat> your emotional um, wash to flood over me at this point. But I was like, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. That was all they said. Mm. And then we talked a whole lot about nothing. For some reason, that stays with me as a really powerful thing. I think because they didn't come over with any kind of isms. They didn't come over with a, I'm sorry. Not that that's a terrible thing to say to someone. But it was just... That was just so awful. Mm. That yes. What can you do? We all just bear witness to it, really. And that person was there. They'd come to stand shoulder to shoulder with me on the day. I was grateful for it. Yeah. yeah uh, that's it, the awfulness of the situation. I think I have had... Um, the, the things that I have found comforting are acknowledgements of her... Uh, at the funeral, people told stories of Gabby and told s unique stories of her courage, you know, just the way that she 
lived her life and the support that she provided to other people. She was always a very sort of forthright person and she kind of, she had so much confidence and she would lend her confidence to other girls to do things that they would not have otherwise done. And I loved those stories, you know, and that, that gave me comfort. Uh, probably some of the other things that, um, which is a bit similar to your situation, Tanya, that somebody said to me, well, the worst thing that can have happened has happened. And I thought, well, thank you, because that is actually the truth of the situation yep. and acknowledging that because, you know, the, the world is <laughs> a lot of terrible things happen every day for a lot of people. And in my world, this was the worst possible thing that could have happened. And that is, that is absolutely true. So the, the acknowledging of that... Uh, somehow, yeah, the acknowledging of the terribleness of it is so helpful, but also just um, just companionship, not trying to say anything or uh, just, um, you know, even seeing people struggling with trying to find the right thing to say is heartening as well, you know, like, I had a lot of people that you can see, they don't know what to do or how to do it, but they're struggling with it. And we are, we understand that. We're not heartless. We understand that the situation, the difficulty of your coming up to us uh, in that situation, we really get that this is a really hard thing to say and that there's nothing you can say that's really that helpful. And, you know, people are using everything creative in their powers to try and figure out the way to do that so I think any approach in our direction going back to what you were saying about the isolation any approach in our direction particularly as time goes on is really helpful I, I actually really appreciated the fact that there were people that I had not spoken to for years had heard what had happened when we lost Jason and they actually sent an email, made, made a reach out. Oh. I caught up with those people. I, I didn't see that as... I know some, some people might perceive that as, oh, okay, someone's coming to feed on the grief experience because there mm. are definitely people... There are a couple of people that turned up at the funeral that I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> as soon as I saw them, I was like, they're here for the grief porn. Um, but... There were other people that I had not spoken to for years and that softly, softly approach of saying, look, I heard what happened, let's catch up, that was all that needed to be said. And interestingly, they were often people that it then came out that they had lost their loved one to suicide. So right. that was actually the thread Mm -hmm. that had drawn them back in. And I may not have even known that at the time. So we're going back 10 years, someone mm -hmm. that, in a particular case, someone that I worked with lost her partner and I found out subsequently that that is in fact what... And that then has started a whole lot of other conversations now that we're both in this experience together. Um, mm. And that actually really, really helped. And in fact, going back to what we were saying about dumb things that people can say 
when you know that person's been through that experience, they can almost get away with saying things that you'd be less forgiving with someone else. That's right, yeah. And and this person in particular said to me, because she's now 10 years into the experience, 10 years plus, so she's, she's down the road. Mm. We're on the same road, but she can see what she's passed all the signposts. She actually knows a little bit of what the terrain ahead is going to be like for me. Yeah. And she said... I know you can't see it now, but your life will become better than you've ever imagined. Now, someone else said that to me. What they'd cop from me, not that I'd say it to them, but inside would be, how do you know? What the, how dare you? You're like, don't try and tell me. NFI. You don't understand. <laughs> there was something about saying, and she wasn't saying that, it was better than it was before. She wasn't saying get over it. She was just saying, I know that the place that you're in now is so dark, but there is light further down the road. Just mm. don't forget that. I don't know. Maybe it sounds really, really corny, but it, it, it meant a lot to me and it had a lot of weight because I thought, she's on that road. She's walked it. That's right. We, we respect the people who've been on this path. We know that they've got things to say. Content development and background research by Joni Janaway and Tanya Bretherton. Sound, music and audio, pre- and post-production provided by Patty O'Rourke. If this conversation has been difficult for you, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings, or if you're just having a really tough time right now, there is help out there. Lifeline is available 24 hours on their hotline at 131114. The Suicide Callback Service is also available at 1300 659 467. If you're having a hard time and not even sure how to start the conversation, remember that a trusted GP or a family doctor is also a good place to start. <laughs>